Make sure your Bibles are open. We're in 1 John chapter 2, two very small but incredible verses, 28 and 29 of 1 John. We continue this study. It's spiritual counsel from John the Apostle, but what he's been doing over these last seven messages and to the church is that he's giving us seven tests to know for sure that we are, in fact, genuine believers. And that's what he spends the entire 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John doing to the church at Ephesus. People say, Randy, why do you say Ephesus? Well, the last part of John's life, according to historical records, in particular Josephus and others of the 1st century, we know that John lived in Ephesus. But either way, if he's talking directly to the church at Ephesus or believers in general, folks, He's squaring me right between the eyes and right here in my heart. I mean, this just these messages in preparation have just hit me, and I'm thinking, wow, how little I know, not only about 1 John, but about the entire Word of God. And every time you pick up God's infallible and errant Word, look what happens, folks. God gives us that spirit of discernment through the Holy Spirit, and we say, I've never seen that. Wow, the light just came on. It happens to me every time I prepare something. You would think after all this, quote, education, somewhere along the way, that light would have come on. It did again over these last few weeks, and in particular, as I sat this week preparing this message, and I said, whoa, this is great. I got a question for you. Does Jesus Christ abide in your life? Now, before you answer that question, let me qualify a couple things. John has talked already a lot about abiding. And remember what I've said. This word abiding in the Greek, it's the word meno. It's used in the aorist tense. For the aorist in the Greek, we tend to translate it as our English past. Like it happened back there. But for the Greek folks, the aorist tense was not necessarily a past tense word. It meant not only that it happened back yonder, it's happening right now, and it's going to happen in the future. It is a continuous action. And that's what the aorist tense is, being, and John says to the church that we're battling the Gnostic people in the middle of the church, he says, folks, what you've got to understand is that you've got to abide in Christ from the moment you ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life, as Jimmy just sang, a sinner saved by grace, to right now and in the future. And I'm not so sure we understand what it really means to abide in Christ. The word meno, we've already said, I'm not going to spend time with that other than to say it is the word to abide. It means remain. It means to take up residence. It means to find the house and sit down and set a spell, as the Beverly Hillbillies used to say. But it's true. It means to stay home, to sit down, to listen in Jesus it means to let him take up residence in our life. Well, how are you doing? The Bible says it like this. It makes the statement and tells us that we are to bring every thought of our mind under captive of Jesus Christ. Now, how many, and you don't have to say this, has been as guilty as I have this week, that not every thought of my mind has been taken captive under the power of God this week. See what I mean? 
we don't understand. We are, as we say, folks, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread here. We are trying, we are striving to abide in Christ. But I want to ask you something. I know we fail. I know we run into brick walls. I know we fall flat on our face. We do. But are you... Is there a deep-seated desire in your life to strive to be doing exactly what John said, to take up, letting God take up residency? Last week he said, make sure the gospel takes up that residency. Now, on this last point, he's bringing it home free. He's saying, you know, you can do all the other six, but when the bottom comes out here, what must be happening in the believer's life is that you and I must abide in Jesus. Wow. Luke 9.23. Some of you have been with me in Master Life, and you will recognize this as the main scripture of Master Life. He looked to those disciples, and he said to all of them, If anyone comes after me or comes with, along with me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, we always sometimes think of our crosses as an illness, a disability, or some type burden that we have to take and carry on our shoulders. Let me give you a different meaning of that this morning. You may agree or not agree. That's your prerogative, but it's my heart. What I believe about that cross, it's not necessarily something that we have to constantly bear and hold on to and whatever, though that's a possibility, yes. But abiding in Christ is that cross. It's abiding, making sure that every waking moment of your life is abiding in God. And it's a conscious decision that a believer makes. It just doesn't happen. And when we don't abide in Christ, the consequence of that is that we open the door for Satan and his demons to come in and steal our joy. Folks, so many Christians are walking around in such defeated lives right here, right now, because Satan has stolen their joy. Wow. Jesus said, I'm come that you may have life and have it absolutely to the fullest. John said that. John chapter 10, verse 10. And so in these verses this morning, John gives us the Scripture for changing our heart attitude, for changing our lifestyle, and making sure that as a genuine believer, we abide in Jesus. Listen to the words. It begins in verse 28. From the Holman Christian Standard Bible, So now, my little children, once again, that beautiful word, wow, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have that boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Oh, wow. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well, that everyone who does what is right, righteous, that doesn't mean being a good old boy. That means being righteous, be saved. Wow, it says he's been, that he has been born of him. There are three simple words this morning in this message. You've got an outline in front of you that I printed, and here's the first word in verse 28. Here's what John says of what it means to abide in Christ. First of all, there's the test. There's the test. What's it mean? The basic idea is what I've just told you. But let me just mention a few things, and let me just share with you. Remember last week and over these last few weeks, I wanted to make sure that we just let the Word of God speak for itself. You know, I could talk about abiding in Christ, and we could stick around most of the day. It is a great 
theological and Greek study of just those three words. But for the sake of time, and I just want to share some things with you from my heart, as I always do. What does it mean to abide in Christ? I want to make a statement, but I want to read the Bible for the Word of God and what it says. Not what Randy says, what it says. And here they are. You'll need to write these down. Just listen. Abiding in Christ means that a person confesses Jesus Christ as the Son of God in his life. You've done what Jimmy Brown just sang about. You are a sinner saved by grace. There's come a place in your life where you've intentionally said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of the Savior of the world, and I realize you took every sin that I'd ever commit on the cross, and I want you and I ask you to come into my life. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to come into my life, change my life, transform my life. You are the Lord of my life, and save me at this very moment. And the Bible says, through the power of God and His Holy Spirit, an immediate, incredible transformation takes place in your life. I can't explain it. I can't figure it out. But God says He did it, and you've confessed Him as Son of God. You've asked Him to forgive you of your sins. Wow, what's God done? He's come into your life forever, never to leave you. You begin your journey of abiding in Christ. 1 John 4. Verses 15 and 16, listen. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, because God is love, and the one who remains in his love remains in God, and God remains in him. You abide in Christ. What does it mean? It means that you walk and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Every second of your life, every waking moment of your life is, is, is consumed in your heart by living Jesus. What's it say? 1 John 2, 27. We preached this and studied it last week. The anointing. That anointing is the Holy Spirit that God gave you at the moment you invited Jesus Christ in your life. The, the anointing you received from Him get this, remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things. It's true. It's not a lie. Just as he has taught you, remain, abide in him. Wow. Abiding in Christ means that a person walks in open confession before God. You walk hour by hour, all day long, making sure that your relationship is with God. Now, let me say this to you, folks. We don't just walk around and consciously our mind, I mean, our voice is doing this. We do this by our heart. This is a heart attitude. It's getting up in the morning and said, God, you let me get up this morning. Thank you. That's a gift. This is your day. But Lord, help me Help me to make sure you abide in my life today. Lord, don't let me open my mouth and stick my foot down my throat. Lord, help me to get my mind under captive of you. Lord, don't help me hurt anyone today. Give me wisdom. You see what I'm saying? That's the prayer. That's the prayer of a person abiding in Christ. And if you like me, most of the time we get up, go about our daily activities, and we forget to even consult God. What John said, if we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness. We're lying. We're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses this old guy from all his sin. For if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, don't miss this. 
If we confess our sin, he is faithful, righteous, just to forgive us of that sin and to obliterate it, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Abiding in Christ means that we walk in open confession to God. Abiding in Christ means we continue in the Word of God and we know the truth. John 8, 31 and 32, you'll recognize these verses. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, remain. There is that Mano again. Remain in my word. You are my disciples because you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abiding in Christ means that a person dwells in love and unity and fellowship with all believers. People say, Randy, most of the time I'll come, I'll come down and shake hands. But you know what I like to do when I see you guys shaking hands? And this may be selfish on my part. I just love to stand here and watch. And i tell you why. It's the picture of koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship, unity. Every one of you, when you do that, are smiling. Maybe one or two. But for the most part, 98% of you are having a blast. And Doug has problem regaining control. And you know, it's just shaking hands. We do that coming down the aisle. But isn't it just kind of unique when you do that in church? You know, when you come together? You're all over these aisles. I think it is the picture of fellowship. You are abiding in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Abiding in Christ means that a person bears fruit and lives a fruitful life. Bible says this in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who abides in me remains. There's that word again, mano. I in him and you in me produces much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. In Galatians 5.22 that you've heard all your life, most of you sitting here, but the fruit, not S, fruits, is just one. All of it together is one fruit of the Spirit. It's agape, it's kara, joy, it's irene, peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faith, it's gentleness, it's self-control. And he says, against such things there is no law. Well, I could go on and on, but you get the point of what the Bible is saying. Because when we abide in Christ, it means that we actively surrender to obey God's commandments. We preach that in the very first message on this series in terms of these seven tests. Remember that word, entole? God's command. 1 John 2, 17, And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains, Mano, in him forever. That's a test. Are you abiding in Christ? No, I'm not. I'm working at it. I'm trying. I'm striving. I'm learning. But do I abide in Christ like John is saying we're supposed to abide in Christ? No. I didn't get up this morning and pray, Lord, take every captive of my mind, every thought of my mind, and bring it under captivity of the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to do that every day. I didn't do it this morning. Did you? Some of you perhaps did. Thank you. I didn't. You see, we really are one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Then the second thing John says. It's also found in verse 28, the last part about it. Matthew mentioned it in the scripture. It's called the purpose. What is the purpose of abiding in Christ? The purpose for abiding in Christ as believers on this earth is that we may have boldness, confidence, and not be ashamed when Jesus Christ returns. There's something I want you to see very clearly. Jesus Christ is coming again. Bible says it. Matthew chapter 16, we know it. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels, 
in the glory of the Father, and he will reward each according to what he has done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10, For we must all appear before the, the judgment seat, the bema of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. And the task, John says, when a person abides in Christ, it prepares the believer for the return of Christ. There are two words used right here. It's that word boldness. It means courage. It means to be frank. It means unmistakable. If we abide in Christ now, today, and every day hereafter, we can have an unshakable boldness, a confidence, and assurance and that when Christ comes to this earth. In other words, come get me, Lord Jesus. <laughs> it's not going to be, oh, I'm so scared to death. When is that going to happen? No, it's going to say, Lord, you just come quickly, as the book of Revelation says. Come take me out of here. I wish Jesus Christ would come take out his church today. I'm ready to go. Are you, are you afraid of what could happen at that moment? No. The Bible says what Jimmy sang about right here, the very fact that you are a sinner saved by grace, ought to give you the confidence to say, God, just come on and take me out of here. Boldness. Then that word to be ashamed or to feel shame and disgrace. The word as the connotation is you feel ashamed because of something that you did wrong. This word is so often ignored by believers because there at that moment is going to be shame and disgrace and embarrassment when Christ returns. Some believers shrink back. That's what the word means from Christ. Why? The Bible says, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the gates of heaven. Well, Randy, that's, that's, a, that's a nice scripture. I like that. But it really doesn't appeal to me or apply to me. John is very strong here, folks. Evangelical Christians need to get serious. And I'm talking to me about abiding in Christ because this world in the 21st century in Cobb County, Georgia cannot tell the difference between a believer and a lost person. I sat in this church for years as a child. And we prayed for the mission field to come here. We were given our little cards, our little 10 nickel, 10 cent piece card from Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. And we prayed that one day if we couldn't go, God would bring the mission field here. Praise God, this church has been such a mission-minded church from day one. You send people like Kevin sitting right here and his family across the other side of the globe to minister through our International Mission Board. I could go on and on about people that have gone out from this place alone in ministry. And then I remember sitting in sunbeams and beginners and primaries and juniors, and some of y'all are saying, whoa, I remember that. I remember praying in Sunday school down in what we called and termed then the dungeon with Eleanor Upshaw and James Upshaw and Martha Chandler and Martha Brantley, and I could go on and on to these people, and we asked God to bring the mission field to us that we could go out. I am living to see the answer to that prayer right here. That's exciting, folks. 
God's tarried is coming. Doug said he had 50-plus children in each session Wednesday night in the music in our Good News Clubs. Karen, I mean, what better way of ministry are we seeing happening? And that's just one group. Well over 100-plus here this past Wednesday. Pure ministry. Pure ministry. Somebody in this church is abiding in Christ or that would not be happening. Now that's a cause for rejoicing. And I thank God for you all and what you do. Let me tell you. Why? One day, Jesus is coming home. He's coming back to get us. Well, not home, but here. Well, you know, eventually. And he's coming to get us. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I do, I'm going to come back and get you that where I am, there you may be also. And it's the Bible, folks. That's what God said. That's it. Settles it for me. He's coming back to get me. He started my house, my mansion, as an 11-year-old boy when I walked the aisle, not of this, in this sanctuary, and Bernard Deacons in 1963, who was the pastor at that moment, I shook his hand, but long before I ever made that public, through my mom and dad, I was saved on the way home from a church on Sunday morning. And you know God started that house for me that day. And one day, it could be today, it could be 30 years, I don't know. But he's going to say, Randy, it's finished. That old foundation you started in 1963, Rod, it's all done, bud. It's all built. Doors are ready. The windows are clean. You come on in because here are the keys. And when that time happens, for me or for any of you all in here, not hell itself or anything on this earth is going to stop you from leaving this earth. Are you abiding in Christ? There's a third thing I want to tell you. Not specifically me, John. Verse 29, the proof. The proof. What is the proof? that you are abiding in Christ. John makes it very clear. Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know this well. Look at this. Everyone who does what is righteous, same word, has been born of him. You've got to watch the translation of this verse sometimes because we use the word righteous and right sometime together. And you may think, well, if anybody does, if they're doing all the things right, if they're just being a good old boy and they're taking care of their family and all this, they're going to heaven. No, that's not what this, this word and this verse says. It means righteous. You cannot be righteous apart from the blood of Jesus. You can't merit your way into heaven. You can't work for it. You can't read your Bible, go to church, and do all this stuff enough. You've got to be born again. And if you're not, and we're sitting in this congregation, we're making a beeline to hell. We don't even realize. Wow. The proof that you and I are abiding in Christ is that we're living a righteous life. Period. And I don't know how, that's what the book says. If a person abides in Christ, he lives a righteous life. This is the supreme and the final proof that a person knows God. We can always tell if a person knows God by the fruit and the treasure of his life. Is he living a righteous life? Is he doing the best he can or striving to live a life just like Jesus did? Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, listen. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, 
neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. There is one reason why a person who knows Christ lives a righteous life, because he knows that Jesus Christ is righteous. He's the sinless, one and only Son of God, the only one ever able to come to this earth as God-man to cleanse us from every sin we would ever, ever commit. When you were saved, when you intentionally asked the Lord Jesus to come into your life, God saved you. He declared you not guilty. He wiped out your sin. The Bible says he separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. You've seen this illustration. God knew it long before we did. The north and south one day will meet. You stand at the North Pole and you take one step off the North Pole. You've gone south. You stand at a globe and stand right here at Olive Springs and you head east. And you will always go east. If you go west... And I'm doing this from my perspective. It'll look opposite from yours. You'll always go west. The east and west, they don't ever meet. And folks, when it hit me years and years ago that when God forgave my sin, he separated that sin as far as the east is from the west. Doug, it revolutionized my life. Not as a license to go out and sin, but to realize I got a God who's capable of wiping it out and cleansing me. changed you this morning? What is Satan and the demons of hell firing at you and me this morning to prevent me and you from completely, totally abiding in Christ? That's the devil's M.O., folks. If he can turn you to yourself, keep you in control then of yourself, then he's got you. And when he has you, don't worry, he's not going to bother you anymore because he has you right in his trap. And for so many, I feel that's what's happened in this world. What a tragic place to be. Right in the middle of God's church and yet just as lost as a person could ever be. And the sad part about it, Dr. Graham, Billy Graham says, the person does even, doesn't even realize that he's lost. Folks, I love you. Always have, and as long as I'm breathing, always will. But please don't be deceived by the devil and his demons. You make sure your life is characterized by Mano, by abiding in Christ. Folks, that doesn't mean we're perfect. We're working at it. We're trying. We're striving. We fall flat on our face. We don't make sense sometimes in ourselves. One thing God is honored by is the fact that his children are reaching forward, as Paul said, to the mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Because one day, one day, the Father is going to tap the Son on the shoulder and say, It's time. Go get your bride. When that happens, folks, you know what my prayer is as we close this morning is for a worldwide movement of committed believers to abide in Christ. Can you imagine the revival that would sweep this entire nation and land if that took place? 
I believe it was Charles Spurgeon that says, I long to find one man completely, totally committed to Jesus Christ. Folks on this earth, that won't happen. We're trying. We're working at it. We're pressing forward. We're moving on. And thank God, because like I say, what is happening in the life of this church would not be happening unless God's people were trying their best to remain in Christ. But what if we don't call for a new movement of what John shared with the believers in the church? What if we go in this world in the opposite direction and no longer have a desire at all to abide in Christ? What if it comes down to the fact that the world can no longer tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? And it appears, for the most part, in the evangelical world, that's where we are came across an illustration that I just want to close with this morning. And I rewrote it. Well, matter of fact, I completely rewrote it. For our purposes of studying 1 John. I changed the title because I've simply entitled it Satan's Convention in Hell. And here's what I wrote based on what John said. Satan called a worldwide convention in the center of hell. And in his opening address to his demons, Lucifer said this. We can't keep believers from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from seeking to form an abiding relationship with Jesus. But you see, my fellow demons, once they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So, let them go to their churches. Let them live their so-called conservative lifestyles and let them enjoy their fellowship with one another on Sundays. But as the prince of darkness, Lucifer says, I have a master plan. Here's what we'll do. We will steal their time so they cannot gain that personal relationship with Jesus. So here's how I want you to do it. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection they have throughout their day. Keep them busy about the busyness of life and please, let's invent innumerable schemes to occupy their mind. There are no limits. Do whatever it takes to seduce them. Tempt them, tempt them to spend and borrow and center their mind on things. Persuade them to work harder than they've ever worked before. Entice the wives to go to work long hours and make sure husbands work six to seven days, ten to twelve hour days each week. Make them think they are doing it for their children and families when in fact they're doing it to maintain their expensive lifestyle. Oh, by the way, do this to be sure that their moms and dads simply don't spend time with the children. You see, the nuclear family unit must be obliterated. Satan continues. Very quiet in hell. The family will soon fragment. The home will, no offer, will offer no escape from the pressures of work. 
overstimulate their minds, fellow demons, that they can no longer hear that still, small voice. Confuse them to believe that a quiet voice could never be from God. Be sure and fill their quiet moments with noise. Never let them enter silence for any reasons. If you do, God will get through to them and we will lose again. Entice them over and over to make sure that the iPod and the radio and the CD, make sure electronics are always on, the Xbox, the Wii, the TV, the smartphones, oh, the smartphones. Use any way you can to occupy their mind and capitalize on them. We can make them addicted to its use. And be sure to seduce them to listen to music that will glorify themselves alone. This will confuse their mind and break down their union with Christ. Fill their homes with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving moments with billboards. Flood their mailboxes and email files with junk mail, with catalogs, with sweepstakes of every kind, and newsletter promoting free products and services and false hopes. And here's one of the best attacks on the family. Make sure you keep models, beautiful models, on the front covers of magazines and food promotional items so that the men in this society will come believe come to believe that external beauty is what's important and they'll become dissatisfied with their wives and their family many of those men let's turn them to pornography and evil forms of entertainment trust me trust me doing so will bring the families down even in quicker even quicker Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation exhausted and disquieted and unprepared from the coming week. Don't ever let them go out in nature to reflect on God's wonders. Send them to other things that occupy their time. I'm telling you, take their focus off of God at all cost. Most of all, keep the churches busy. Let them meet, talk, and eat. Distract them from the true meaning of koinonia. Make sure they do ministry and do no ministry when they come together. Turn the church into a social club. Cause dissension and undermining of the pastor and staff and the ministries. Involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave with troubled consciousness and unsettled emotions and false teaching. Distract them from telling anyone about Jesus and convince them that doing so is only the work of someone else, namely their pastor. Soon, my demons, they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their own health and family for the good of their cause. Only it will be our cause. They just won't realize it. Trust me, their work. Finally, they will forget about what it means to abide in Christ. We will win. Now. Let's get to it. We haven't much time left. Satan doesn't have much time left. I am so proud of this church for its ministry, what you folks are doing. I beg you. I cry out to you. I plead with you. Don't let Satan fulfill these desires from his convention in hell. Right here. Let's make sure, together, 
as a family. We abide. Jesus, thank you for John's words. Wow. Thank you for such incredible words that are fact. And Father, we just come to you as a church today to recommit our lives to totally abide in you. There's so many in this house that know you personally. There's so many dear saints of God that are in right here under the sound of my voice. And I thank you for them. Thank you for the ministry of this church. Thank you for what it stood for since 1880 and what it stands for right now. But Lord Jesus, I pray for those in this room that have never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never done what the Scripture said, to call upon the name of the Lord, and they'll be saved. I pray today it'll be their day of salvation. And I pray today for most of us in this house, for sure, that we'll make that new commitment to do even more to abiding in Christ. The devil's trying to get our attention. The devil's trying to pull us down. Father, may we be strong and vigilant. Never allow that to happen. Ever on this earth. Your will be done. I pray and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. As you stand to your feet very quietly, Doug is going to come to lead us. Matthew and Daniel will be right down here with us. Kevin is on our staff. Kevin, would you come and join them as well? And we four are going to be right down here. Whatever is on our heart or on your heart to just renew that commitment of abiding in Christ, would you come and take one of these guys by the hand? and you come. Perhaps you just need to come and you want to pray. If you need someone to pray with you or would like that, you just let me know. One of us will get someone to come and pray with you. But if not, you can just come and kneel and pray and spend that time alone with God. Whatever it is to abide in Jesus, let's come as a church and do